Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering, instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The second reading is taken from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, and this can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1,209. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death.
Heavenly Fathers, as we have been singing, we believe that you have spoken by your prophets, by the Lord Jesus Christ through your word, and we believe that you still speak today. And we ask you to do just that as we look at your word, the Bible. Speak to us deeply profound truths that we may know how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. Oh, well, let me uh, add my own welcome to that of uh, Tim's uh, earlier in the service. Thank you, Tim, for leading us. Uh, my name's Paul Williams. I'm the vicar here. Welcome to you if you're uh, new uh, or visiting, passing through, maybe on holiday. It's brilliant to have you here. And as Tim said, we're uh, looking at uh, various passages through the Old Testament in the summer. And uh, today, Genesis chapter 22. Do ha- have that Bible passage open in front of you. Page 22 is the page number, and you might also find it useful to dig out the, um, the handout that I've um, had printed for us um, so that you know where we're going. Um, you can take notes or just see uh, what's happening in the next few moments. Uh, if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you'll know that it is true that obeying God often feels like a real test uh, to our minds. Sometimes obeying God seems utterly unreasonable. I asked some friends this week, when does it seem unreasonable for you to trust God? They gave me a whole list. Um, It was a brilliant list. I haven't got time to give it to you all, but um, here's a couple of things. Uh, General things. They talked about relationships. It seems unreasonable to remain sexually pure before marriage, some people think. For all sorts of reasons. Consensual sex before marriage doesn't seem to hurt anyone. It's fun. Surely it's better to get to know someone in every way before marrying them. One person put it rather crudely, it's better to try before you buy, isn't it? What God asks of us in relationships seems unreasonable, particularly in today's society. What God asks of us financially in giving seems unreasonable. When it comes to money, it seems unreasonable to give sacrificially beyond what I can afford. It seems more reasonable to achieve a secure future for myself and my family. Seems far better, doesn't it, than giving money away? Or we could go on, relationships, money, all sorts of things. Faith in God sometimes seems unreasonable. Well, look, we won't find a more unreasonable ask than what was expected of Abraham in Genesis chapter 2. This is the second of our summer series, Stories for Big Boys and Girls, where we're looking at the great Bible stories that we love to tell our children. And we're discovering as we go through these weeks that they are far more than children's stories. Last week it was Noah and the ark, next week Joseph and his coat, later in the summer Daniel and the lions, lovely stories, great stories that feature in children's Bibles, great stories that have been told again and again in Sunday school, but through these summer Sundays we'll see these historical events were recorded just, not just for little people, but for people of all ages, for big boys and girls, for adults like you and me, written down for our learning so that we'll know more about our God and more about how we should live for him. And as we turn to Genesis chapter 2 this morning, I'm not even sure how this one made it into the series. I need to tell you I put the series together, but I'm not sure why I included this one. Genesis chapter 2 is not a story that we often read to our children because while it has a terrific ending, it has a thoroughly perplexing plot line That is enough to give any child nightmares. Look at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there. God said that. And that raises huge questions. As a father of three, I know firsthand that children ask challenging questions when you begin to talk to them about the things of God. Last week we looked at Noah and the ark. I I can remember when uh, my children were younger and I read that story and they asked me, how did Noah get all the animals on the ark? How do you answer that question? Perhaps even more challenging was this question, how did Noah make sure that the lions didn't eat the other animals? Ever thought of that one? Well, never mind the challenging questions of inquisitive little minds. The opening verses of this chapter surely raises a question in everyone's mind, whatever our age. Here's a question that stretches us as far as any question can. Why would God tell anyone to sacrifice their son? It goes completely against God's character, doesn't it? Well, it certainly makes the point this is no children's story. This is the stuff of nightmares. Parents, can you imagine being asked to do this, to sacrifice your own child? That said, you and I can be sure that God will not ask you to do this. That is not the point of the story. Before we look closely at the details of the event, let me step back a moment and ask you to consider the difference between what is narrative in the Bible and what is normative. Bible narrative records for us what happened in history. So Genesis chapter 2 is narrative, telling us what actually happened. But it's crucial when we read the Bible that we remember that narrative doesn't always tell us what is normative. And by that I mean it doesn't tell us what is the normal Christian experience. Let me give you another example. Think of the book of Numbers chapter 22 where we read that a donkey spoke to a bloke called Balaam. That's the narrative. It's recording a supernatural event in history. God spoke through a donkey. It's narrative, but it's not normative. I don't conclude from that event that donkey speaking is the normal Christian experience. Of course, God could get a donkey to speak again, but it's not normal, so I don't take a trip to the local donkey sanctuary to hear God speak to me whenever I'm unsure about a decision that I have to make. Narrative is not always normative. And that is the case here in Genesis chapter 22. What God asked of Abraham is not what he will ask of us. That is very important or you will have nightmares tonight. That said, if I understand narrative properly, I will discover wonderful things about God and about how I should live. So here's the question. Why did God tell Abraham to sacrifice his son? Verse 1 tells us that it was a test for Abraham. And uh, so we're on to our first point on the handout, testing the faith of Abraham. This event showed Abraham what was really in his heart. Please make a distinction. This was not a test for God. This wasn't so that God, God could discover what was in Abraham's heart. God knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. We can't hide anything from him. No, this was a test for Abraham, for Abraham to know whether he was a man of faith or not. See, the truth is, you and I don't know our hearts as much as we think we do. Look, there have been times when I felt so deeply committed to the Lord that I have felt that I would go anywhere for him and do anything for him. Those moments don't come along very often, but I felt them from time to time. But even in those moments of heightened belief and commitment, I don't know if when the crunch came, I'd actually put God to the test and put him first. 
See, to know that, I actually need to be put to the test. I actually have to go through it to see, would you go anywhere, do anything for him? It's only when I'm faced with a real challenge that I really know that I'm prepared to trust the Lord completely, unreservedly. Indeed, let me be autobiographical for a moment. In the last few weeks, Caroline and I and the family have faced a test. Of course, compared to Abraham's test, it was really very insignificant. Nothing compared to this, but it was a big enough issue for us to deal with. It forced us to ask the question, would we go anywhere and do anything for the Lord? Even somewhere we don't want to go to do something we don't especially want to do. And confronted with that test in these last weeks, having to grapple with it was hard and unsettling, but it was very good for us. Now we know better where we're at with the Lord. Do you see? Now look, in a much greater way, I mean a much greater way, and in the most extreme circumstances, this was a test for Abraham that would reveal to Abraham how much of a man of faith he really was. I can't think of a harder test for any father's face than verse 2, to sacrifice your one and only son. Here is God saying, Abraham, I not only want you to lose your son, but I even want you to be the executioner. Parents here, can you think of a more difficult thing to do? I can't. Now, this would be hard enough for any parent, but remember, Abraham had waited 30 years for the birth of Isaac. Isaac was a much-loved little one. But there's even greater reason why this was so hard, and it is this. God gave Abraham great gospel promises, promises that are at the heart of the Bible and go right to the very core of God's plan for the world, and those great gospel promises were to be worked out through Isaac. Come back with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. Just a few pages back, page 13. Genesis chapter 12. And we'll look at verses 1 to 3 that give us these great gospel promises. Verse 1, Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There are three great gospel promises here. First, the Lord promised to give Abraham, verse 1, a great land, the promised land that we speak of. Second, the Lord promised that he would make Abram into, verse 2, a great nation. As he said later, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And third, the Lord promised that through Abram's line, verse 2 and 3, all nations would be blessed. Those are the great gospel promises made by the Lord to Abraham. And they're repeated in Genesis chapter 15, where Abram says to the Lord, how can these promises come true without me having a son? How can I become a great nation if you haven't given me an heir? But the Lord promised Abram that it would happen. And so in chapter 15 and verse 6, we read that Abram believed God. But as we read on through the narrative, that belief, that trust wavered when Sarah, Abram's wife, gave him no children. She was old and barren. Abraham himself was no spring chicken. And so Abraham took the Frank Sinatra approach. You know it, don't you? I did it my way. I won't trust God to deliver. I'll do it my way. And many of you will know the story. He had a child by his housemaid, Hagar, and Ishmael was born. 
But the Lord told Abraham that Ishmael was not the child through whom the gospel promises would come true. And then, of course, against all the odds, Isaac was born, born to Sarah when she was 90 years old. Can you believe it? And Abraham was as good as dead. That's not me being ageist or rude. That's what the Bible says of Abraham. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So Isaac gave birth, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and Abraham had now a son and heir. And here's the thing it would be through Isaac's line that the Lord's gospel promises would come true. Now, with that background, as if it wouldn't be hard enough for a parent to sacrifice their own son, how much harder when Abraham had been given these great gospel promises by God and all those promises hung on Isaac. This really was a test to see if Abraham would trust God and trust his promises. This was a moment when Abraham could trust God or think that he knew better and do it the Sinatra way. I'll do it my way. And remarkably, Genesis chapter 2, against all the odds, Abraham trusted and obeyed God, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham's response is incredible. Do you see this? There's no arguing with God, no delay. Having heard God speak, Abraham got up early the next day, gathered enough wood to make a burnt offering and set off. And verse 4, do you notice the detail? For three days, for three days, Abraham, two of his servants and Isaac hiked through the mountains. Three days when I imagine Abraham must have turned it over again and again in his mind. What am I doing? What is God asking me to do? Three days of walking with Isaac, his only son, wondering when it came to it, if he'd be able to actually do the deed and sacrifice him. Three days it was drawn out. How many times in those three days Abraham must have been tempted to turn back, but he kept going. And on the third day, verse 4, he saw a place in the distance. He arrived at a mountain in the region of Moriah. We know that from verse 2. Moriah is crucial. Hundreds of years later, King Solomon would build his temple on Mount Moriah. And 2,000 years later, the Lord Jesus would die on a wooden cross on Mount Moriah. So Abraham arrived at the place of sacrifice. And verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, what do you make of those words? Abraham saying, then we will come back to you. We, we will. What is going on here? Is Abraham telling a whopping great lie because he can't bring himself to tell his servants what he's about to do? Or are these the words of a man who trusted God and trusted that somehow both he and Isaac would return? What is it? Well, either way, look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he carried, him, uh, carried the fire and the knife. Three days Abraham had been living with this, three days of imagining what this moment would look like. And as we read these words, the tension mounts and not least of all as we hear Isaac ask his dad the million dollar question in verse seven, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That makes the questions my children ask me about animals on the ark seem rather insignificant. 
And Abraham answered, verse eight, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now again, we're left asking, was Abraham lying through his back teeth? Oh, Isaac, you've just asked me a very good question, but um, I'm just gonna bluff it. Or did he really believe what he said? Well, having Isaac uh, answered Isaac's question, end of verse eight, the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and there, uh, uh, there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. What on earth Abraham was thinking, I don't know. What on earth Isaac was thinking, I don't know. Why didn't Isaac speak? Why didn't he run? I don't know the answer to those questions, but as he lay there, verse 10, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. And with the knife at Isaac's throat, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your, your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It was a test, but Abraham passed the test. He was ready to trust God, whatever. But I'm still left asking, how? How could Abraham get to that point? Why was he prepared to sacrifice his son? Well, keep your finger in Genesis 22 and come with me to Hebrews chapter 11, page 1209. Hebrews chapter 11, page 1209, the second of the two readings uh, that we had just a moment ago from Vanessa. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great chapter of faith. It is the big word all the way through. Uh, Basically, it means trusting God. And in verse 17 of Hebrews 11, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's what we've seen so far. How was he able to do it? Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now we're over the page on the handout. Abraham reckoned God could raise the dead. Abraham believed that if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise Isaac from the dead and so deliver on his gospel promises. That's how he is prepared to do it. And I love that in verse uh, verse 19. Uh, Abraham reasoned. He thought about it logically. Faith is not illogical, it's logical. The logical conclusion, the reasonable thing to believe was that God would raise Isaac from the dead because God couldn't possibly go back on his gospel promises because God cannot lie. God cannot not deliver. To Abraham, it was illogical to think that God would fail to keep his word. God is a God of promise. God can't go back on his word. So with Hebrews chapter 11 in our minds, as we turn back to Genesis chapter 22, we can see that Abraham's words to his servants in verse five were not a big fat lie. Abraham did believe that he and Isaac would return both of them after they had worshipped. 
Because Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from death. Now I reckon that points us to the biggest moment in life when we will have to exercise our faith in God. I'm thinking of our death or the death of a loved one. That's really what this story is about, you see. I became a Christian because of the great gospel promises of forgiveness and of life beyond the grave. As a 20-year-old, I was very aware that I wasn't the sort of person that I should be. I knew that I'd have to stand before God one day and account for my life, and I knew it wasn't, my life wasn't good enough for God. On top of that, as a 20-year-old, actually as a 17-year-old, I was acutely aware of death because my best friend Lawrence had committed suicide when he was 17. I'd faced death and it was utterly terrifying. So when I heard the gospel promises, I heard the answer to the great dilemma of life. I heard how Jesus' death on the cross could bring me forgiveness, put me right with God, make me ready for facing God and his resurrection could guarantee me life beyond the grave and so I trusted those promises and I have known ever since that I'm forgiven not because of anything I've done but because Jesus died for me and I've known ever since that when I die I will be with the Lord forever I am trusting those great promises but there will come a point of testing for me when I need to believe those promises like I have never believed them before. And that point will come when I'm on my deathbed. When I know that very soon I will be in the very presence of God. You see, it's very well me trusting those promises now. Will I trust them then? Abraham did. That is what's so impressive about him. And this is a story teaching us about how we too need to be ready for that day when we face the death of a loved one or our own death. Will we trust God's gospel promises then? Because of my job, because I'm a vicar, over the past 26 years of pastoral ministry, I've had the huge privilege of sitting with people while they have died. It's hard, it is painful. But I say it's a privilege because at times I've sat with people who've had the most remarkable faith in those moments. People who've shown total trust in God for their own resurrection. A number of them in this church family. But let me tell you about someone not from this church family but from a previous church family that I was involved in. Her name is Tracy. Tracy trusted God. She had cancer, uh, seemingly overcame it. But then it came back as secondaries and I will never forget being with her in the, last, in the last days in the hospice before she died. Tracy was a very popular woman, rightly so. She was a lovely woman. She had many friends and many people visited her on those last days before she died. At times, the space outside her room was, uh, was like Piccadilly Circus. So many people were coming and going. And as people went into the room to see Tracy and say their goodbyes, one of her friends said to me, as others were going in, she'd already been in there, and she said to me, there is a peace in that room that I cannot explain or describe. Tracy is facing death, the most terrifying experience anyone can face, but she has such confidence that everything will be okay. The way she faced her death had a profound impact on all those around her, both unbelievers and Christians alike. Why could Tracy respond like that? 
Now, I guess there are many reasons, but here are two, two big reasons that I think are face-to-face with us in this Bible passage. First, Tracy trusted God's word. Tracy took God at his word. She came to put her trust in Jesus quite late in life, in her 40s, if I remember rightly. But from that moment, she became a person of the book. She loved reading the Bible. She joined a small group so that she could know the Bible more. She looked into the evidence for the resurrection, and she reasoned... Just as Abraham did, that if God could raise Jesus from the dead, then she could trust God for her resurrection too. Tracy took God at his word. And second, Tracy had learned to trust God through other experiences in her life. She trusted God with things that were much less significant than her death. But as she trusted God, she found that he never let her down. He always delivered on, her, on, on his promises. And so her faith grew through that testing. So that when it came to it, that biggest moment of testing, she knew she could trust him. Isn't that exactly what we see with Abraham? He trusted God. Then he stopped believing. He did it the Sinatra way. I'll do it my way. Because to his mind at that moment, trusting God seemed unreasonable. But then he learned to trust God again and Isaac was born against all the odds. And so you see, through times of testing, through unbelief and then through belief, he learned to trust God. So that when this biggest moment of all came, when he was asked to sacrifice his only son, and I can't think of a bigger moment, he obeyed. Faith grows through life's experiences. Now look, if we're going to have solid faith when we're face to face with death, either our own death or the death of a loved one, if we're going to have faith like Abraham's and come to that like Tracy's, faith that really trusts that God can raise the dead, then we need to know God's promises in his word. and We need to know that he's delivered on those promises in the past. But we also need to know that uh, from our own experience that he has delivered on those promises. We need to have taken him at his word, tested him from time to time, even through those scary moments, and come through them and said, that was worth trusting him. Now I can trust him with something bigger. That's how we'll be ready when we come face to face with death. You see, this is a story for big boys and girls. It's a story to equip us for the most challenging time we will ever face. First point, testing the faith of Abraham. Second point, you'll be very pleased, is extremely brief. Demonstrating the God of sacrifice, verses 14 to 18. See, this is not just a story about Abraham. It is a story of God's delivering on his great gospel promises. As we begin to draw to a close, look at verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket saw a ram caught by its horns, went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. 
Now, do you see it there in verses 17 and 18? This event is all tied up with the gospel promises that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and then repeated again in chapter 15. These promises that we've already thought about of, God, uh, of Abraham being the one through whom God's blessing will come to all nations, of how he will become a great nation and how he will inherit a promised land. And those promises, of course, all point us towards the Lord Jesus. Jesus, who was, remember, descended from Abraham. Jesus, the one through whom all nations are blessed through the gospel. So that now a great nation has been created. Thousands of believers from every tribe and nation, of which we are just a part this morning. All over the world, millions of believers have gathered to worship God. And down through the centuries, millions and millions have trusted Christ and become his disciples, more than we can number, more than the stars in the night sky, more than the, uh, the sand on the shore. And through Jesus, all those believers who've gone before us have now begun to enjoy their inheritance. They are in the presence of God in heaven and they will enjoy the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth one day, where all who put their trust in him Uh, will be with him forever. The story about Abraham and Isaac reminds us of the greater gospel story of a father who is prepared to sacrifice his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. You see, as we read this story, we see Isaac led up by his father to the mountain of Moriah. And it reminds us that 2,000 years after this story, the Lord Jesus would be led out to die on that very same mountain. And just as Isaac carried the wood on which he would be bound, so the Lord Jesus would carry the wood, the cross, on which he would be sacrificed. And just as Isaac didn't say a word to his father, as his father bound him and laid him on the altar, so Jesus, led like a lamb to the slaughter, did not open his mouth. He didn't plead his innocence or protest, but went willingly to his death. This story is meant to remind us of that great story. And as we read this story, the one big difference is that Isaac did not die. Verse 14, God provided. He provided a substitute animal so that Isaac could go free. And as Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. He couldn't possibly know how real those words were. That at the same place, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that would be the place where the Lord did provide the perfect sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we rejoice and trust in Jesus' death as God's merciful and gracious provision for us, providing forgiveness of sins and a way to be made right with God. And just as Abraham reckoned that God could raise the dead, so we can know through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave that we too can have life beyond the grave when it comes to it. This event in Genesis chapter 22 foreshadows the greatest event in history. And perhaps as I close this, the most important thing of all, perhaps, as we look at Abraham, the father of Isaac, prepared to sacrifice his one and only son, and we feel the pain and how much of a sacrifice that would have been, it helps us to understand the remarkable and astonishing love of our father, God. The father who so loved the world that he did not 
spare his one and only son, but gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we remember that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And remembering that gives us great confidence that we can trust him. Even when in our minds it doesn't seem reasonable. Even when he's asking us to do things that don't seem right to us. We can trust him now with every detail of life, taking risks for him. And we can trust him then when we faced our biggest enemy, death. Let's pray together. How deep the Father's love for us, vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make people like us, people who are wretches, his treasure. We thank you, our Lord and God, for the remarkable provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that that was no small thing as you gave your one and only son. We thank you that we deserve none of it, but you did it anyway because you love us. And we pray as we look at the cross and remember again that great sacrifice this morning, that it would give us great confidence to trust you whatever, to go wherever you'd have us go, to do whatever you'd have us do, knowing that we can trust you completely. And we pray as we learn to trust you through our lives, that when it comes to it on that final moment of our life, we'll have enough experience of trusting you to be able to trust you with our death. Please would you do that work in us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.